You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know, at the end of the day, football is football. All Patriots, all, all the time. Ooh, that, that's spicy. All Patriots, all, all the time. Welcome to, 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 to First and Foxborough. What is going on, Foxborough football fans? I'm Kyrie Thompson, your host of First and Foxborough. Remember to be downloading, listening, streaming on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the show at First and Foxborough, F O X B O R O on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me at Katie Thompson Five. You know what to do. You you know the drill already. But look, with less than a week left before training camp, less than a week, it is awesome. I love this. I know the season previews are getting a little old. You want to see the real thing. Look, don't worry. It's almost here, folks. But today, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different, a little bit of a new voice on here, right? We we always hear, you. well, obviously you hear a lot of me, right? But then you also hear local voices and you know some national voices, right? Today, you're going to hear from somebody I've interacted with a bunch over the years through my rather unfortunate Chicago Bears fandom. But I've never actually spoken with him until now in in somewhat in person. He is EJ Snyder, co-creator and co-host of the Bootleg Football Podcast with film junkie and beer enthusiast Brett Coleman, whom you all know, and a senior draft analyst with the Windy City with Windy City Gridiron. EJ and Brett, um, you are going through the NFL teams right now to preview the season, and recently did a Patriots-themed episode, which you should all check out after you listen to this. So I had to bring my guy on to talk about it and give us a little bit of an outside view of the Patriots from, you know, again, from somebody who, you know, is not necessarily in the Patriots grind all the time. EJ, how are you doing, my man? I'm fantastic. It's it's funny we're talking about the Patriots episode because it just dropped for everybody else, but we recorded it like two and a half weeks ago and we're uh, actually, as of last night, about three quarters of the way through the entire league. So this is a little bit of a rewind trip down memory lane, but happy to do it. Yeah, you see, it, it, it's going to be going to be funny because I feel like with a lot of the episodes that I'm doing, right, it, it's it's almost like a Groundhog Day sort of thing because I'm just talking about the Patriots and it almost feels like I'm just talking about the same things over and over again trying to put different different spins on them. It's like for you, it's like, OK, yeah, we're going through a different team every every day or every couple of days every week wait you want me to talk about the patriots again what what it's like don't do what i do where i have to stop myself constantly from saying Devonte adams instead of Devonte parker that's that's I'm, gonna be a challenge for the day I, I hope i didn't jinx you no it's all right you probably did but i'm prone to do it i you know when you're talking about the entire league and the draft and college football and and players from the past all the time. And then this year we've gotten into coaches. If folks go and check out the preview, we talk quite a bit about the coaching staff and man is the NFL coaching staff. Just it's one big organism. That's all interconnected fathers and sons, players, and, you know, former coaches, uh, all kinds of links from college from the pros, whatever. And you're, 
mean, I did it last night. I ended up reading somebody's name and I was like, that can't be. I just scouted him and I was like, oh no, that's his kid. And he plays for the Chargers. Okay, this is his dad. Okay, cool, cool. There, there we go. You know what? Just because you brought up the coaches, let, let's go ahead and do that. As an outside observer, how weird is the Patriots coaching stuff to you? It's the weirdest. Uh, so far. And again, we're three quarters of the way through the league. We're looking in depth at every coaching staff that goes all the way from head coach down to, you know, strength and training assistants. The Patriots structure, the way they either do or in fact, don't talk about who's doing what is unique. And I don't use that word lightly. Nobody else does it that way. It does make it I don't want to say frustrating, just interesting from the outside to say, well, we're not really sure who to point the finger at, whether it goes well or poorly. And I'm I think that's by design based on Belichick's history of not talking about injuries in depth and, and basically giving as little information as he has to and sometimes a little less than that. But it is odd. I'll just say that. You know, it's a. I watched the episode, right? And I saw you pull up on the screen the organizational chart. And, and it is really this funny thing, right? It's Bill Belichick as the sort of CEO president. And then literally the same picture of Bill Belichick right underneath that as the head coach. And then a couple of just missing slots, right? And it, it's interesting that you that you say that, though, because I think it is by design. And he insulates, I think, tries to insulate his coaches from criticism in that way by basically being like, you know what? Shoot all your arrows at me. That's cool. I'm not going to answer questions about it anyway. Yeah, he's never going to show that particular what I think he characterizes as weakness. He's never going to give you that inch. And it does allow him to do that. And everybody ends up pointing at a bunch of people and saying, well, I think it's this guy and I think it's this guy it does deflect and sort of diffuse a lot of that. And he can do what he really wants to do, which is get down to coaching his football team in the bubble and take some of that noise of which there is a lot in every market and just sort of shuff that off because it's not, it's clearly not important to him and that's fine. He's been very successful doing that. And this is just one mechanism, but it seems like uh, even this year they've cranked that notch up to like, 11 in terms of we're just not going to tell anybody anything. We're, we're not going to have the typical boxes on the org chart. We're not going to have the typical titles. We're going to make you guess. And we're totally cool with that. And I think that that is really emblematic of what they want to do with this entire team. The, the way that the roster is set up, honestly, right? We're going to go with a lot of depth at wide receiver instead of going with one or two elite guys. And then everybody else is kind of whatever we're, going to more or less stick with the linebackers we had last year with the exception of, you know, Dante Hightower, right? We're going to bring back Juwan Bentley and, and a couple of slow guys not really going to change the, the, the composition of it, you know, except a little bit cosmetically with, you know, some younger and marginally more athletic guys. We're going to get rid of JC Jackson and go with some veterans slash, you know, rookie Jack Jones. And basically everybody's like, what are you doing? I don't understand. And I really think that that's the point. We will do whatever it takes, whatever we feel like doing at any time. And you'll never know because it's not like there's this one thing that we're going to do that is going to be so much better than you. We could do anything, right? That's that's how I feel like they are going to try to win this year. I think in a way that's how they've always tried to win. And it's a hallmark of Belichick and, and certainly his run with the Patriots. 
is that they will shift. They are like chameleons, right? They will do vastly different things week to week. They are not. They are the antithesis of a team that comes in and says, our way or the highway, we're going to dictate, right? They're going to dictate, but they're going to do it by doing something they didn't do last week. You know, last week was 35 runs. This week's going to be 52 passes because we think your secondary is weak and we're going to attack that and we're not going to take our foot off the gas. And then the next week, they're right back to a run-heavy approach or completely, not completely different, but a, I will say obviously different run scheme than it was two weeks before. And that's really a strength of the organization. And in personnel, it's fascinating because, again, teams get types, especially over time, stable organizations. Patriots have been stable with Belichick as the decision maker for a long time. And you start to say, oh, they, they don't like that type of linebacker, right? And then suddenly they go get one or oh, they're always going to play, you know, vets at wide receiver. And then, hey, there's a rookie that's going to have a significant. They, they're just not going to play to tropes. They're going to do what they need to do. And you're right. They're not going to tell anybody. And the plan often doesn't look clear until it hits the field. And then everybody goes, ah, oh, he did it again. Right. Yep, exactly. And I think that it, it's interesting because in watching the episode, when you got to the part where you were talking about the draft, and I know you you kind of deferred to Brett to talk about the specifics of Cole Strange and the evaluation and what he liked about him athletically, but there was a part where you both started talking about what does the draft mean, and both of you were like, you know what, I think this means that we might see a scheme change. And in particular, you were saying, I wonder why they drafted Cole Strange and why they did that, and then when they drafted Pierre Strong, in the fourth round, you said, oh, okay, it's clear that maybe we're going to see more outside zones than we're used to seeing, because this is a team that last year, especially, and I think the previous couple of years were gap power between the tackles in your face. And now it's like, oh, well, maybe they might want to get outside and do something a little bit different. So from, from your standpoint, what, so how about you explain in your words, what you think it says? Yeah, Cole Strange was a pick that obviously sort of shook New England proper. You're you're way more familiar with that than I am. It was the ain't lying. what are you yeah. doing moment. Like, oh no, you know, he's finally gone around the bend. What's happening here? And it didn't make a ton of sense. Cole Strange in a vacuum, very good player. He's gonna be fine, relax, Patriots fans. But I didn't understand it in the larger scheme. And one of the things that both Brett and I like to do with the draft is try and use it as the tea leaves, try and figure out, okay, where, where are the shifts? What are they gearing up for? Are they looking at next year and contracts and insulating themselves? Are they filling a hole that that guy's going to start this year? And if so, why did they pick him and not him or him or him? And we didn't really have that with the Patriots with Cole Strange. We liked him as a player. But we didn't really have the fit until they got down to Pierre Strong, the running back from South Dakota State. He is really, really good at one thing. It's not the only thing he's good at. I'm not saying he's a one-trick pony, but the massive amount of his massive amount of yards came from outside zone. He is a slasher. He is going to get outside. He's going to find the gap. He's going to turn it up, and you're probably not going to catch him. And a lot of his highlights, like, 80% of his highlights at South Coast State were that. 
So Belichick and staff are smart enough that they're not going to do the square peg round hole thing. They're not going to draft Pierre Strong with a reasonably high pick for a running back and then come say, hey, we're going to teach you how to do power. It's not that he can't run between the tackles. He's actually pretty effective there. But the dominant thing he does, the reason you go get a Pierre Strong is because you want to push that outside zone. And then the Cole Strange pick made more sense because he is very very mobile, very good at shutting off backside angles, getting out in front of blocks, sealing those lanes for outside zone. And then you go get one of the premier in this draft outside zone runners who is, I'll say a specialist, right? He specializes in that. Then that was the light coming on moment. Oh, hey, oh, hey, it's not just going to be Ramondre Stevenson in gap and power, right? This is their another card they can play, right? And it's not going to be that every week, 90% of the time. That's not what we're saying. That's It's another arrow I can pull out of the quiver if I think that maybe your corners don't tackle or your nickel's a little smaller or a little slower and can't really come up to support the run. If you play a ton of too high and one of those guys isn't great at running the alley to come down and support the run, I'm going to pull out Pierre Strong for five to eight carries a game. And he's probably going to average five to eight yards a carry because you're not good at it. And now I have something to exploit it. So it's just one more weapon that they can put in the arsenal. And that's the fascinating thing about watching the draft uh, for me, for teams that have a ton of stability, like Baltimore, like New England, like the Steelers, right? Where are they shifting? Where are they sort of going away from type or modernizing to keep up with the NFL? And what, what are they adding? And that was a, a classic one. Yeah, and I think your point about it being sort of another arrow in the quiver, I think also generally applies to the run game because just because I'm and they drilled outside zone so so much. And I mean, you saw a little bit of Pierre Strong, but you saw it with you know Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson too. And Ramondre Stevenson, I feel like, is an interesting case in this because he doesn't necessarily have that blazing speed to hit the edge, but his but his feet and the way that he moves in space reminds me of I call him baby beast like baby beast mode because that's what that's what he looks like to me sometimes yeah. the way that he gets in space yeah he's a big guy and he'll he'll run over you no stiff arm you into the dust he'll turn you into a chalk outline but he loves to make people miss his jump cuts are nice his contact balance is nice he that that's kind of what he reminds me of so I feel like they're gonna run that with him a little bit as well I'm really intrigued to see how much it sticks yeah, Ramondre Stevenson is a fascinating study because he is a big guy, does run between the tackles a lot. So you automatically think, you know, he's brutal. He's got power. He's going to he's going to punish you. He's going to use that size. And he's got sweet feet, like even coming out in the draft. That was one of the things it was like, don't just don't just pigeonhole him as, as a power back because he's big. Look at his feet and his feet are really good. The, the feet are the basis of any running back. I don't care if you're talking about speed inside, outside power, not. You got to have great feet. And Ramondre Stevenson, at least once a game, you will see something where he just holds up the linebacker, you know, gives the old Toro move and he's gone because he's got those really nice feet. So he's it's not that he's going to be any kind of replaced. It's that he's going to be able to do that, too. And then when you've got a guy like Pierre Strong, who has blazing speed at the running back position, Folks are going to be used to catching up with the other two. And then, oops, <laughs> didn't didn't quite fill that gap. I was half a step late and he's gone.
Yep. And then and then that's it. And I feel like another pick that a lot of people were not sure about at all. And I mean, we'll see how much of an impact he actually has in year one. But Tyquan Thornton is like that yeah. where, look, I mean, it, he'll be on a pitch count most likely. I don't think he's going to be playing the lion's share of the snaps. But man, screw up one time. You miss a jam at the line of scrimmage or you take a bad angle in the open field. And that is that. That is done. You will not catch him. You might as well just, just start lining up for the extra point. We're finished. He's that fast. Like I, I've seen, I've seen it in person. And again, a couple plays at a time. And he, he, he runs pretty smoothly, you know, even when he's not running deep. But man, once he gets it going down the field, it is it is fun. Yeah, we got to see a lot of him during Shrine Bowl week. We were out there in Vegas for Shrine Bowl. He was there. Um, very slightly built athlete especially from the waist down i mean very very thin and that he wasn't the he wasn't the only one like that there were a lot of receivers there like that and automatically again your brain starts okay you know he's fast he's got pretty good hands it's not going to be a great contested catcher he just doesn't have the girth to go up against more physical defensive backs baloney taekwon thornton is a dog with the ball in the air and i was really surprised by that in his game because his frame doesn't really belie that but in drills, he didn't give an inch to anybody, and he won most of those jump balls. And then there's the piece that everybody talks about, the classic, if he's even, he's leaving. If he's even, you're done. Like, forget it. He's going to get by you. He has legit high 4-2 speed. And you're right. He's going to be on pitch count. He is not going to be the starter, but he is going to be a guy, again, that they bring in, like Pierre Strong, that is going to be, they're going to have their 8 to 10 plays. And even if they don't just run him deep every time, you can bet that defenders are going to be pointing him out when he comes on the field because they're going to be like, oh, oh, you know, a couple steps back. Don't be, don't be diving forward on this guy. He's going to get behind you. And they might not do it the first time, but after that first long catch, it's going to be on film. And it's going to be avoid that or be ignorant of it at your peril because that's why they brought him in. And yes. next year, four wides, like, look out. Like, they're going to be able to run four wides. Mac can hit that ball. Everybody's, oh, Mac doesn't have the greatest arm. Mac's got a fine arm. And he can hit that ball with anticipation. And that's the thing is if he sees him, even he can throw it with anticipation when Taekwon's 10, maybe 15 yards off the line because he knows 15 yards later, he's going to be three steps ahead. That is literally the transition into my next point because there, again, I've had this discussion with people about spreading the field and there's this, oh, well, Mac, can Mac Jones even throw that? Yeah, he can. He can. It's just a matter of he's not going to be putting it 60 yards on a clothesline like Josh Allen can, right? It just does, it doesn't, everybody can throw deep in this league. It's just people got to do it differently. So, while we're talking about that, let, let's let's do this with Mac Jones. I he's he's the biggest person of interest here outside of who's going to be calling the plays. When you're doing this review of this team, what stood out to you about Mac Jones? Efficiency. And it's the same thing that stood out when we were doing his college eval when he's coming out of Alabama. And Brett famously says he had a higher grade on Mac than he did on Tua, and so did I. We thought he does a lot of the same things that Tua does, but he did them to a better degree. Like he was more efficient out to a Tua, if you want to call it that. And a lot of people didn't 
grade him that way. His mobility was better. It was the big knock on him in the draft. Oh, he can't move. He can't move. And I banged the drum for three months and it did absolutely no good. I said, no, he can move. He's not mm -hmm. Lamar. He doesn't need to be, but he's athletic. He can move. Don't say he's a post. He's not. There are other guys like Kyle Trask that are post. Mac is not that guy, but for whatever reason, they said he can't move. And he showed that efficiency, I think, earlier in the pros than a lot of people thought he might. A lot of people thought that transition might be bigger for him. The speed might be too much. The game might be, quote unquote, too big for him. Not the case. Nope. Max, Max, cool customer in Alabama. He came in, started doing the same things he was doing at Alabama at nearly the same level right away. That was a little bit surprising. There was very little sort of run up. But he didn't have the surrounding cast he had at Alabama when he got to New England, quite frankly, he needed some more weapons. Patriots went out and basically remade the wide receiver room to give him, again, more arrows in the quiver. They've added running threats. They've, you know, I don't want to say up the offensive line because I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be rude to Shaq Mason because like I'm a huge Shaq Mason fan, but like they've at least reloaded, right? It's, you know, yeah, it's more, it's more of a reload on the fly because I mean, Michael and Wenu. Uh, people were like, yeah, why you get rid of the, uh, you know, the, the highest graded Patriot, you know, be a pro football focus. And it's like, actually, no, Michael on who was not Shaq Mason. So you're putting in a guy who, again, maybe you thought of him as more of a swing role in, in the, in the past and how he's been used in his first couple of seasons, but the guy can play. And I think he's ready to start. And I think right, right guard is the right spot for him. And then, Cole Strange kind of replacing Ted Karras, who departed in free agency. I think that what you're looking for in his rookie year is like, okay, can you kind of play to that level of solid, dependable veteran, perhaps? And then by the end of the year and going into your next few years, are you going to look more like a pro bowler? I don't doubt that that's their approach. And if you look at last year and the success they had, particularly early before the film sort of really built up and the season does get long on rookies, I don't really care who they are when you're talking about NFL punishment week to week and now a 17 game season it does it does build up and and Mac wore down a little bit at the end of the year but if you don't think he's going to be better in year two than he was in year one with more experience more time with the offense a better supporting cast certainly in the weapons around him I don't know I don't know what to tell you like he should not regress he should be progressing and it might be again even faster than people expect and that's an interesting thing because I actually just did an episode shameless plug to all of you but I just did something that kind of showed that based on the numbers and I think what people are basing it on is the, the the play calling right that you know the, the lack of play caller josh mcdaniels is gone that means mac is going to mm -hmm. regress they didn't do enough to add to the receiver room though i think that that area even adding Devonte parker while it's not the sexiest move out there allows you to move some of the other guys around and do more with them than you could last year when you were really lacking in personnel at the receiver position. So I, I think that there's kind of like a hole is greater than the sum of the parts, but I was doing, you know, some, some numbers on this and by and large changing offensive play callers on average doesn't really change the calculus all that much for how much you produce from year to year. Now I do think though, that when you have changes in play caller and you have corresponding changes 
in talent, whether that's good or bad, that's where you start to see the 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 bigger changes, right? Going from you know uh, declining Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson might have had a bigger impact on the Ravens than just going from Marty Morningwig to Greg Roman. And I think that when you look at the the Patriots more or less staying as they were talent wise, with maybe a slight upgrade in Parker, who again simply having him on the field when you didn't have that true X receiver that you really wanted Nikhil Harry to be right, having that does maybe make you subtly better to the point where having a guy just a different guy calling plays, even if he's a first time play caller, might not mean that you're destined for failure. So I'm kind of with you on that where I think at worst, this is probably more of a push year for Mac Jones rather than being a year where he regresses because in the end, as you mentioned, it's more experience and he's probably going to have a bit more opportunity to test his arm and see what he can really do. Yeah, I fully agree. And it's it's not like they went radically outside the system. It's not like they went from a exactly. run first coordinator and then brought in an air raid guy and we're saying, exactly. nope, everything's different. There's going to be a lot of continuation. Uh, that's on purpose. That's the way New England's model is built with succession. They have had lots of coaches leave over the years and lots of coaches come back, quite frankly. But it the system morphs, but the the stability, the basis, the foundation is going to be pretty similar. This is not like Mac Jones is coming in and they're handing him the new tablet and saying, hey, here's the new here's the new stuff. Go home and study. They're going to say, yeah, we've got new packages and new plays, but it looks like this. It's based off of this. And he has all that familiarity this year. So that's a huge sort of bump he doesn't have to deal with. And the coaching change, you know, is is whoever the play caller or play callers are going to be as good as McDaniel? Not likely. He was really finely honed in that role. Oh, um, yeah. A guy that went and came back. And, you know, I think there it's almost like Jekyll and Hyde. Like outside of Foxborough, McDaniel's one thing. Josh McDaniel of Foxborough is like, he's dialed. He, he knew how to push the right buttons, pull the right levers at the right time, which is the, the art part of play calling. Um, as well as anybody. So is it going to be that good? No, but you're talking about losing maybe 10 or 15% off that edge and keeping the bulk of the same stuff and having a quarterback that's more familiar, more ready for the physical toll the the year will take and having some slightly improved weapons. To me, that says like you stays at least at the same level, but probably maybe improves. And with that, when we're talking about improvement in second seasons, Mac Jones played far in a way better than all the rookie quarterbacks last year. I mean, it's not to say that they they all like like they didn't have any flashes and and they had they have no talent and they're doomed to be bad or anything like that. He was just multiple levels above. And I think though that there are a lot of people saying, well, that was year 1, now it's year 2. They upgraded in Jacksonville. It's time for Trevor Lawrence to be what we all thought he was as that number 1 overall pick. He's going to kind of take over the top spot. Uh, in that in that uh you know 2021 NFL quarterback draft class, right? Um, Zach Wilson got a couple more weapons. Justin Fields uh, doesn't know. have Matt Nagy anymore. Yeah, so it they... doesn't have Matt Nagy anymore. These he, he positives, <laughs> positives, right? Yeah. He's got a new got a new coach and a new offensive coordinator, and he's got Velas Jones Jr. and the aforementioned Nikhil Harry. I mean, what can oh, go wrong? Well. Jeez, yeah. What can go wrong? But but my my overall point with this being that 
I still feel that until somebody actually outplays Mac Jones, he the line should start behind him. Like, how do how do you think of that? Do you think that by by the end of this year, how do you see this unfolding? Is Mac still going to be the top dog, or do you think somebody's going to overtake him? Has a lot to do with perception versus reality in my mind. Mac, as you said last year, if you're looking at on-field results, clearly outplayed the rest of the class. Like that's that's not arguable if you look at what he did versus what they did. Now you can talk about situation a lot, and for both Chicago and Jacksonville, you gotta dumpster um, players. Both terrible, like coaches who were actively working to keep their uh, highly drafted rookie signal callers ineffective, which is doesn't make any sense, but it was true. So they're going to show that's Trevor and Justin are going to show more improvement this year than Mac is because, because there's they nowhere else to. to go, but up. that's right. They're starting at the bottom. So they're starting where he started last year. So he's got a huge head start. And again, if we just go off what he does, what they all do on the field this year, People's eyes are going to be drawn to Trevor because you're going to see more of what he really is. People's eyes are going to be drawn to Justin Fields because he's amazing and he's going to make even more plays without a coach kind of, again, hooking a block around his neck and saying you can't run that fast. <laughs> like, So they're going to have big jumps, both of them, and that always attracts the eye. Like change attracts our eye, right? Mac is yeah. going to be maybe a little bit steadier, but he's starting from having a full year more of reasonable and actionable NFL experience. I think both Jacksonville and Chicago just kind of want to chuck that out with the bathwater and say, hey, now it's for real. Now now they get to run. And they will. At the end of the year, it'll be fascinating to see if either one of them passes Mac on the field in actuality for performance, they will have made massive leaps because Mac played really well last year and we expect him to play as well or better this year. They got to catch him and pass him. That would be a sort of secretariat like run. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we've talked a bit, a bunch about the offense here, but I actually think the bigger concerns about this team are going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Everybody wants, as you mentioned, their eyes are drawn to the quarterbacks and the offense, but this team is lacking in the cornerback room, at least for now, and they don't really have dynamic linebackers. What they do have are some really good safeties. So with that in mind, how do you think they could use that strength to cover some of the weaknesses that I think they have and a lot of other people think that they have and, and keep this defense competitive while the offense tries to perhaps carry a bit more of a load than it did last year. Yeah, this is a really nice one. It ties at least three themes that we've talked about so far together, which is that sort of amoeba-like structure within the Patriots organization and how they shift and change, um, how they're able to disguise what they do and change what they do on a week-to-week -week basis. And we talked about this in the episode that this is, in my mind, the Kyle Duggar effect, right? Mm -hmm. They use Kyle Duggar everywhere. They drafted him, and then they used him everywhere. They used him as a light linebacker. They used him as a deep safety sometimes, more around the line. They used him as a nickel, if you're talking about true alignment, or in Sabanese, a star. Like, they used him all over the place, and they went, wait a minute. That gives us the ability to not tip our hand defensively personnel-wise with, with who we have on the field because Kyle can do three, three and a half Whatever. things. Yeah. We need another Kyle. Well, you don't find Duggars just 
growing on trees. But what they did do is go out and sign Jabril Peppers, who has a lot of similar characteristics. He's not the same, but can do many of those things. If you bring him on in a three safety set, which is, again, very popular in Nick Saban's defense, and we know there's a strong link. They're longtime friends, Belichick and Saban. And it's with too high coming in as the sort of now dominant defensive mode in the NFL, more folks are doing this. Like you rotate that linebacker off and you get your, what do you want to call him? Heavy backer, dime backer, you know, third safety star. doesn't matter. Depends on the system, but you get another player who has that flexibility. He's big enough to cover a tight end off the line, physical enough to play the run. If that's what happens out of even the sort of McVay offense, which is 11, we're going to run everything out of 11, but we're going to run out of that. In which case you'd be responding with a extra defensive back. And if it's a third safety that has some flexibility like peppers, you don't have to switch, right? You don't have to get stuck with your refrigerator, like linebackers out there and, and end up facing what is event essentially sort of four verts out of, you know, three wide receivers and a tight end personnel, which happens a lot in the NFL. Hey, you can run with that now. So it gives the Patriots that ability and they kind of quietly did it. This wasn't like a draft focus or anything else. Right. They signed a guy for not very much money. They got peppers for a, a really reasonable deal and it gives them tremendous flexibility. They're not going to say it, but they all saw what happened when Kyle Duggar was on the field on film and they went, wait a minute, like we need more of this and less of the other thing. And so I think that's what they're going to do, because if you have those, a very strong three safety box or three safety group out there, you can, I don't want to say you can hide the corners, but you can, you can narrow the corners responsibility. So the likelihood that the play breaks through his area of responsibility is much less. You can, you can basically sort of spackle over some weaknesses. And I think we're going to see a ton of that from the Patriots. I wouldn't be surprised to see four safeties, honestly. I think, <laughs> I, I, I think I think that we that there is a strong possibility we might see four safeties on the field at once because of the the multi-dimensional aspects that that you mentioned. But I mean, they loved their three safety group last year for sure. It was it was I think it was their most used uh, defensive personnel group. I mean, when you look at the snap counts, I mean, those safeties were playing a ton. Devin McCourty never coming off the field, and the thing is, like Devin McCourty. I mean, basically, he's just just back there. You don't got to worry about him. You don't have to worry about getting beat deep because he's just going to take everything away from you. But I think really it, it, Phillips and Duggar are, are big keys for being able to do whatever. Last question, though. Sure. With this team in a reloaded AFC and a tough AFC East, which got Miami got better and the Bills are, they're the Bills. Yep. How can this Patriots team go back to the playoffs this year. Can you see it happening? I can see it happening. I said that my we do a team floor and a team ceiling at the end of each of these episodes, these divisional preview episodes for the whole league. And uh, for the Patriots, my ceiling was 11 wins. And people might say, oh, it's really rich. It's so hard. The AFC is just an absolute meat grinder. It is. That's only two more games than I have them at. So. Right. And that's the ceiling. That's if everything goes well. If all the things we've talked about glowingly for the last half hour occur, if Matt comes out of the gate hot, the play calling meshes, they're able to throw more change-ups at the opposition with some real speed at outside zone and an increased wide receiver core, and they hit a couple of shots early to Tyquan Thornton. If all those things happen and they get rolling, 
I can see 11 wins on their schedule. Is it easy? No, but that's why we call it a ceiling, right? That's their max. If they get 11 wins, they're going to the playoffs, guaranteed. They're probably yeah. still not going to win the division, but they are absolutely in the playoffs, even in a tough AFC. I have their floor at eight because I just don't see a ton of reasons for regression. It would take something devastating, an injury to Mac or you know, multiple injuries on the level of like what the Ravens saw last year to really drag this team down to eight. And it's Belichick. He's not going to win less than eight. So that's I mean, a fairly narrow with Cam slide. Newton at quarterback. So yes, I mean, like, you, uh, can, you case, can see eight wins. Case in point, right there. Uh, so you know, if they win 10 or 11 games, they're going to be in it in December. They got to play well in December. They always have for the most part. They got to protect home turf as every team does. They got to play well within division. And as you've mentioned, AFC East is not what it used to be in terms of uh parity. <laughs> Right. It that that level has come up significantly even this year. So got to defend home, got to play well down the stretch. And, you know, many of the things we're talking about have to go right. I can see that. So I don't think playoffs is a stretch. If we're talking about winning the division, that would take a lot of dominoes on other teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, Josh Allen would probably have to miss some significant time for that to yeah. be like a aha moment. Uh, but other than that, this yeah. is a very quality team. A lot of people are kind of like, oh, yeah, Patriots. Oh, yeah, they're down, right? Especially if they don't follow the Patriots. Nah, they kind of had one down year. Last year was above average, and this year should be above that. So it doesn't, in terms of the way the curve goes, I could totally see it. I just want to say you probably didn't mean to but you did an excellent jim mora right there playoffs oh, playoffs I'm, no you heard that yes yeah yes i heard yes. that yeah C come on man I'm, I'm an i'm an audio guy of course my my, are... my ears are impeccable i got you on that no i loved it i love perfect it. yo ej snyder co-creator co-host of the bootleg podcast and senior draft analyst at windy city gridiron this was so fun Thank you so much for doing this. Can't wait to to do this again down the line. I might I'm I'm kind of planning like a bit of a Chicago Bears week where I just have oh. tons and tons of 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 people on. So keep your eye out for that when it's time for a Nikhil Harry revenge game. <laughs> Is that what we're calling it now? That would be great. I love this. Gary, it's awesome. Thanks for having me. I'll do it anytime. That right there was EJ Snyder of the Bootleg Podcast and Windy City Gridiron. Thank you so much for tuning into that one. That was so fun. And make sure you check out the Bootleg Podcast preview of the New England Patriots in 2022. That's all I got for today. This is First in Foxborough. I'm Kyrie Thompson. Till next time.